One thing that held our <coughs> relationship together over 25 years was the cricket match, wasn't it? <coughs> of course, we always played on the same side. Oh, when we only had a few students, we didn't. We played against each other, but uh, no. So that's a little, you know, hint there. If you want to have good relationships, play cricket. <coughs> I'm not sure how you two are going to go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jeremiah 32. <coughs> Yesterday we left Jeremiah <laughs> in that terrible position <coughs> in the, uh, the besieged city and I want to take us back there uh, this morning. <coughs> I've been just simply wandering through the, uh, <clears throat> basically through the prophets, uh, just finding places where God tells us that he is great. And uh, so this is one portion where um, it, you might not <clears throat> seem like it straight away, but as we go through, you'll see there are many references to the greatness of God. And there's just one thing, one aspect of God's greatness that I want us to see this morning, and that is that great is his Counsel. Great is his counsel. <clears throat> I'm going to do a fair bit of reading this morning, but uh, hey, I can't think of anything better than reading God's word. And so uh, let's just ask the Lord to bless. Father, we thank you for just uh, again the fellowship that we can enjoy with uh, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that uh, have, Lord, the same, um, the same view of scripture and the same our love for the Lord, and so we thank you for our fellowship in Christ. We just pray that as we now open your word, that you might, Lord, reveal to us uh, more wonderful things about yourself, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, the, yesterday, we, um, in giving a sort of a background for the book of Lamentations, we started in uh, Jeremiah 32, just to get the context uh, for uh, what was written in, that, in the Lamentations. <clears throat> and uh, the first few verses of, uh, of the book of the, Jer of the chapter, uh, Jeremiah 32, uh, the, the first few verses give us the timing for this particular event. And so my first point for this morning is what I've called the timing, and it's in verse 1. So let me read verse 1. Jeremiah 32, verse 1. The word... <coughs> that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, or as we otherwise know him, Nebuchadnezzar. And so the time of this prophecy was the tenth year of Zedekiah. Now we know that the Babylonian army began a siege of Jerusalem that we looked at yesterday. They began that siege in the ninth year of Zedekiah, and we also know that the siege would last until the 11th year of Zedekiah. And so this is right in the middle of that siege, the, in the middle period of the siege. 2 Kings 24.20 simply says, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. This probably meant that Zedekiah had uh, refused to pay taxes to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had come previously <clears throat> and, uh, and he, uh, Zedekiah had promised to pay taxes to, to the empire and he'd, uh, 
he hadn't paid his taxes. So Nebuchadnezzar came for the third time uh, to uh, basically uh, to bring Judah to heel. And so the Babylonian armies now surrounded the, the walls of Jerusalem. And even though uh, Bab uh, the Babylonians came with all their armies, uh, Zedekiah uh, didn't, he refused, he resisted uh, Nebuchadnezzar and uh, so he had the, the gates of the city closed and uh, so he just was willing to sit out the siege. The Babylonian army surrounded the walls of Jerusalem <clears throat> and they basically waited patiently for the Jews to starve to death. And Jeremiah and Baruch, his scribe, were inside the city during the siege. And so that's the timing, um, if you like, and the context of what we read here. And in verses 2 to 5, we read of Jeremiah's imprisonment. Uh, we read, for then, uh, verse 2, the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jer Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. Uh, for Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the, the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes, and uh, shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not prosper. This is the message that, that Jeremiah had been telling Zedekiah, and Zedekiah wasn't very happy about it. Verse 2 says that Jeremiah had been shut up in the court of the prison. Now the court suggests that he was confined within the walls of the palace. I don't know if you've ever been to the Tower of London. I've had the privilege. <clears throat> the Tower of London, it's supposed to be a palace, but it really was just a glorified jail. It was a royal residence, but it was also a place to imprison important people. And there's been some you know, very important people imprisoned there. And some of the people that lived in the Tower of London lost their head, didn't they? Some of, some of the poor uh, brides of uh, Henry VIII. <laughs> well, uh, at this particular time, Jeremiah's... Uh, imprisonment, uh, he was sorry, he was imprisoned in Zedekiah's palace and so there must have been some part uh, where he could be confined in the palace, uh, Zedekiah's palace. Now at this particular time in his imprisonment it, it, he obviously wasn't in solitary confinement and so he was able to have uh, visitors and he was able to transact business if, if, that, if that's what he wanted to do. But as we see, as, but as we see uh, saw yesterday, as the siege wore on, things were getting much and much worse for the people outside the palace and inside the walls of Jerusalem. The reason that Zedekiah had restricted Jeremiah's movements was because Jeremiah had prophesied the fall of Jerusalem and the capture of its king. And the king was not happy with Jeremiah's prophecies, obviously, and uh, he probably questioned uh, Jeremiah's loyalties. He probably thought Jeremiah was, uh, you know, pro-Babylon and against, uh, against Israel. Uh, plus, he didn't want Jeremiah spending here, uh, spreading his negative message to those caught in the siege. So uh, King Zedekiah kept uh, Jeremiah where he could keep an eye on him in the, in the, in the prison, uh, in his palace, 
And uh, I think that uh, Zedekiah hoped that Jeremiah would change his tune. He was obviously a prophet of the Lord and perhaps if he, ha he would become useful and perhaps uh, Jeremiah would see sense and give a good prophecy. So he kept him in a place where he might one day be useful. And so this was not a really good time uh, for Jeremiah. The city was besieged and the people were beginning to starve. The king was hard-hearted, we might say block-headed, and uh, he would pull everyone down with him. He wasn't going to budge. The word of the Lord predicted the destruction of the city and the fall of Judah. So Jeremiah was in the doomed city, locked up by a blockhead king. And if ever there was a hopeless situation, this had to be it. So Jeremiah could have been excused if he felt that perhaps this was the end for him as well, as we saw yesterday. So imagine his surprise when he received a word from the Lord that we read about in verses 6 to 8. I'd imagine he would have been quite surprised by what the Lord had to tell him. Verse 6, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is, in the, is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said unto me, By my field I pray thee that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Now you know that Jeremiah came from Anathoth. That was his hometown in Anathoth in Benjamin. Now this was a very unusual prophecy when you think of the circumstances. The Lord said that Jeremiah's cousin would come and he would offer, uh, he, uh, offer him to purchase his uncle's field uh, in Jeremiah's hometown of Anathoth. Uh, the right of redemption now belonged to Jeremiah, which simply meant that Hanamiel didn't want the, the block of land uh, anymore for himself and he wanted to sell it. Uh, perhaps... Uh, uh, Hanamiel um, <clears throat> needed the money to buy food because of the siege. And so he's trying to find somewhere, to, uh, you know, to get some money to buy some food. And he said, well, I'll, I'll, maybe I could sell this block of land uh, to my cousin, uh, Jeremiah. Now, under the circumstances prevailing at that time, this wouldn't have been viewed as a great deal. Jeremiah knew that the land was crawling with invading Babylonians and that they would soon be masters of Judah and Jerusalem. How then could he be certain that the purchase would ever transpire into actual ownership? If I bought this field, will I ever actually be able to live on it? Who was to say some Babylonian would, would, would take the field and make it his own? And, you know, that's what usually happened under such invasions. And it's no wonder Hanamiel didn't want the field. But Jeremiah knew what he needed to do simply because he had a word from the Lord. The Lord told him this is what's going to happen and then it happened. So when Hanamiel came, uh, he realised what God wanted him to do. And so we read of the purchase of uh, that, that field in verses 9 to 15. Everything that we read here was according to Jewish uh, custom at that time. It was done properly. Verse 9. And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my un uncle's son, 
that was in Anathoth, and weighed him as the money, even 17 shekels of silver. <clears throat> Here we read that a, a price was agreed upon, uh, 17 shekels of silver, and that was weighed and that was paid. Have a verse, look in verse 10. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him in the money, weighed him the money in the balances. Uh, a deed of purchase was written, a book, uh, probably some type of scroll. Uh, it was written in the presence of witnesses and the document was sealed. Uh, Jeremiah even weighed the money a second time in the presence of witnesses to confirm the price had been paid. And then in verses 10 to 14, and I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in, in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchases, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open, and I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Barak the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, that's his scribe, in the sight of Hanamil, my uncle's uh, son, in the presence of witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Barak before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence of purchase, uh, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. A copy was made of the, the deed of purchase. The original was sealed. There's a copy and there's an original. The original was sealed and the copy remained open so that it could be checked. If anyone checked that they actually the purchase was made, they could go to the open copy and check that the purchase had indeed been made. Everything was done according to the law and custom of the land. Jeremiah then instructed Barak, his faithful scribe, to put the original and the copy in an earthen pot so they could be kept there for a long time. They could be kept in perpetuity. So... Jeremiah was now the proud own, owner of a field in Anathoth. <laughs> this would be like us buying a, a block of land in, in the city of Mosul in Iraq. <laughs> really good deal. <laughs> Yet amidst extreme pessimism, amidst extreme pessimism uh, that he or his relatives would ever possess the field, Jeremiah bought it because he believed God. Now, verse 15 tells us what Jeremiah believed uh, okay, in, in respect to the purchase of that field. In verse 15, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. It would seem <clears throat> impossible at the time, yet against all human odds, Jeremiah acted on his faith in the word of God and I think, that, I think this is a lesson for us all. Often we are called to act in God's word, even though what God's, God said seem, seems humanly impossible it doesn't, or it doesn't seem logical. The only real estate advice Jeremiah was acting on was this, Thus saith the Lord. And even if the purchase defied human reason and went against human counsel, God no less had said, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. And if that's what God said, that was good enough for Jeremiah. Friends, that should be good enough for us also. Even if the world or our flesh or our own reason is affronted, we should trust God's word. We should trust God's counsel. So in verse 15, it seems that Jeremiah knew why 
He had to purchase the field. But the verses which follow seem to give an account of how, either how he came to know this fact, or perhaps after he'd done all this, he started to question it again and say, he wanted to ask the Lord, why did I have to buy this field? And so there is this, this long conversation, if you like, between Jeremiah and the Lord. It began with a prayer, a prayer, Jeremiah's prayer. In this prayer, you know, I could take any of, some verse, any of these verses and do a whole message. I could probably do a whole series on what he prays just in this prayer. There's some wonderful verses. Uh, verse 16, he says, Now when I delivered the evidence of the purchase under Barak the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretch out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. You know that verse? Did you realise that was about the purchase of Hanamiel's field? <laughs> it was. Well, you can do anything. <laughs> so how come? I've got to buy this field. Have a look. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousand and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. What a great verse. And here it is. Here is the thing. Great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to the ways and according to the fruit of his doings which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day and in Israel and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day, and has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror, and has given them this land which thou dost swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's coming to his point in a minute. Uh, and they came in and possessed it. And they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing at all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold, the mount, these are the, these are the mounts that the Babylonians have placed around the, the city walls. They are come unto the city to take it. And the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it. Because of the sword and because of the famine and of the pestilence. And what hast thou spoken has come to pass. And behold, thou seest it. Here it is. Here's the question. And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee a field for money and take witnesses, for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Can you hear what he's saying? Jeremiah knew the Lord had planned judgment for his people. And he knew that the people deserved it. He, God had brought them into this land, this wonderful land, and they'd spoiled it. And he knew the Lord was more than capable of doing what he said he would do. But even though he had obeyed the Lord and bought the field, it, it did seem a strange thing to do, seeing he would never get to use the land. And often we, when we have obeyed the Lord, we end up scratching our head, wondering what use it is. But sometimes the reason for why, what God wants us to do, what we, when God wants us to do something, the reason... It's because it's just as it was for Jeremiah in the purchasing of this land. That field really wasn't for or about Jeremiah. The whole process of buying and owning the field was for a future day. It was a sign for something that was going to happen when Jeremiah was long gone. It was a symbol for future generations of God's 
faithfulness to his promises. And so Jeremiah's asked the question <laughs> in this wonderful way, telling us about how great God is, and he asked the question, why have you got me to buy this block of land? And so the Lord answers, and it's a rather long answer. Just please stay with me. I'll try to read it, uh, and you can understand it. Verse 26. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Do you know that verse? <laughs> Do you know that's about the purchase of Adam Hill's field? <laughs> Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans that fight against this city shall come and set fire on this city and burn it with, their, with, with the houses. Upon his roofs they have offered incense under Baal. This is the Jews. Uh, the, the people in Jerusalem, they, they built these altars and burnt incense to other gods even on their rooftops and poured out drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. That's their idolatry. For this city hath been to me as a provocation of mine anger and my fury from the day that they built it even unto this day. Well, here the, here the Lord is sort of pulling his hair out because of these people. They've been a provocation unto him that I should remove it from before my face because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah which they have done to provoke me to anger. They, their kings, their princes, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they have turned unto me the back. And so they should have been facing the Lord in worship but they've turned their back on the Lord. They have turned unto me the back and not the face. They were taught them, rising up early and teaching them. Yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction, but they have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name. That's the temple. And if you're to read Ezekiel, you'll see that Ezekiel was given a tour of the temple. And in the, that tour of the temple, in his vision, he saw all these terrible, I, I, terrible idolatry in the, in the very the close, the most the sacred sanctuaries in the house of God. And verse 35, And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fires unto Molech. That's another false god, which I commanded them not. Neither came into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. This is the reason why God had to, to destroy the city and, and cleanse it. But then he said, and now for thus, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city whereof you say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath and I will bring them again into this place and I will cause them to dwell safely and they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way and they, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them or to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul, for thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought, brought all this great evil upon this people, so 
I will bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And fields shall be brought in this place whereof ye say, fields, did you hear that? Fields, even in Anathoth, shall be bought in this place whereof ye say it is desolate, without man or beast. It is given unto the land, hand of the Chaldeans. Men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and the places around Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the mountains and in the cities of the valley and in the cities of the south. For I will cause their captivity return, to return, saith the Lord. Now we know that much of what God said here would happen is history to us. That was prophecy to Jeremiah, and now it's history to us. It has all come to pass just as God had said. There was judgment to cleanse the land. There was a captivity for 70 years to rest the land, but there was a return from that captivity. God has made an everlasting covenant with Israel, the new covenant. And since then, God's people have been able to buy land in Benjamin and in Judah and in Jerusalem, just as Jeremiah had done. In the 10th year of Zedekiah, he would have thought it would be impossible, but it did happen. In fact, in the year 2017, AD, 2,600 years after this prophecy, Israelis are still buying fields in Judah of old. But what I want to point you to, and it's really my point and it's the conclusion of the message is what we read in verse 19, because this is the lesson I want us to learn today. We're learning about great is the Lord. Verse 19, those first three words, great in counsel. Great is the Lord, he is great in counsel. This is what Jeremiah believed and he acted on. God gave him some counsel, <laughs> the counsel to buy a field in a doomed country. Uh, now that was un conventional wisdom to say the least that money that he gave to his cousin could have been used to buy food for himself and barrack think about it people were starving and he was giving his money that perhaps could have been used for food but jeremiah took the counsel of the, of the lord because he believed the lord was great in counsel and friends he is the divine counselor just as his son. Jesus is the wonderful counsellor of Isaiah chapter 9, isn't he? And so we know that, but why do we so often go to men for counsel before we turn to the Lord? Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Ours is not to question why, but simply to obey God's word, to follow God's counsel, whatever that might be, even if it doesn't seem logical, even if it's against what our flesh would have us do, we must always know that God's counsel is great and is right for us. Now we find our God's counsel through his word. Uh, and that's really the only place that we can go and, and, and even if we go to a, a person who is a counsellor, they must point us to the scriptures to know God's counsel. We can see it as, God, as God's uh, commandments are revealed and we can, we can know God's counsel through the principles of the, of the word of God. But 
when we go to God's word for counsel, very often the counsel we receive from God's word is very logical. <laughs> and, and when even people in the world would understand what God's word says, you know, it does, well, that does seem very reasonable. That seems, that does, that seems logical. But there are some times God's counsel is absolutely opposite of what the worldly counsel would be. You think about the most basic thing in our life as Christians is our faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And yet the world would tell, tell us if we can't see God and we can't hear God and we can't touch God, then he's not real. Well, we know that's not true. God's word reveals that he is our creator, God, and he is our maker. It will be The world would counsel somebody... Uh, uh, to well, okay. If you want to give some money to the church, that's fine. But wait, till you <clears throat> wait till you get a lot of money before you go start going money, giving money to the church. Whereas we know God's counsel is that we should, should start teaching even our children to give to the Lord uh, that tenth and even more. Uh, that, that that is just a part of life. Now there are times in our lives when when the, there's not a lot of money around, but. What's God's counsel? It does, doesn't seem logical. Uh, it might not seem, the world might say, you're still not given that tithe of you, 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 things are tied. Well, listen, God's counsel is always right. Even if it doesn't, the, world, the worldly counsel is the opposite. The, you, the world would say, well, look, it's fine to marry that unsaved girl or fine to marry that unsaved boy. Look, love is the most important thing. Or as we know, God's counsel says that an unequal yoke is against God's counsel. The world would say, you know, when that fantastic job offer comes up, if you've been the dream job you've been waiting for all your life, but the thing is you've got to move away from your, your, that, your town and you've got to move away from your church and go to another place, and the world would say, just grab it. This is your big chance. This is your big opportunity. Whereas we know that God's word says that the most important consideration for us wherever we are is to find a spiritual home. Very often, the counsel of the world is the opposite to the counsel of God. But we've got to have that conviction that Jeremiah had that God's counsel is always right. Years ago, my wife and I were members of the Condal Park Bible Church. And uh, we'd been to uni and we both had jobs and, well, you know, we were fairly secure in life. And then I believe the Lord was calling me to perhaps the ministry and I asked Pastor Wenham <coughs> if I could uh, just be an assistant to him. And so I changed my jobs. I went from a five-day job to a three-day job. And I sat in his office for a couple of days a week uh, church didn't pay me for that I just believe that that's what I could do <coughs> and, uh, and, then, and ev then eventually the Lord uh, laid on my heart that he wanted me to go to Bible college and uh, and so uh, I went to Bible college and and then uh, the church at Condal Park graciously uh, uh, appointed me as an assistant pastor to Pastor Brian Wynnum Condal Park Bible Church and although we struggled a bit and uh, it took a while and uh, you know I'm not the brightest you know, spark that has ever existed, and took. But I finally got through college, and and uh, praise the Lord. At the end of college, uh, the church at Condal Park ordained me as the associate pastor. But ordained me into the ministry, and, and then appointed me as associate pastor of the Condal Park Bible Church. And uh, <coughs> during this process, my father-in-law, he was uh, he wasn't living in Condal Park at the time. He was still 
working in the mines up in up in the mountains and he was a bit concerned about his daughter and uh you know <laughs> this crazy husband of hers and so he bought a he bought this bought this lovely two-story house in condor park uh, so that he'd take care of his uh, daughter and and her husband and and the kids and and uh, so I had a nice house with an incredibly reasonable rent. Uh, we, had, we had the Christian school, so my wife or I didn't have to work in the school. We had a fantastic school there. Uh, and I'd started an Awana club, and by that stage, uh, after a few years, we had 25 leaders, and, uh, and uh, we had about 70 kids coming along to the club. And uh, Pastor Wenham was uh, happy with my ministry, and so he was thinking, well, I've got this new associate and he was thinking that he might be able to minister further afield and so the, there was the opportunity there that one day I would become the, the pastor of the Condell Park Bible Church you know <coughs> everything seemed to be going exactly how I wanted I had, uh, I had a fantastic ministry I had a lovely home uh, I had a school I could send my children to in a large metropolitan school now one of my <laughs> one of my jobs uh, uh, well, Pastor Wenham was to arrange for preachers to go up to that place up at Coffs Harbour. Uh, to uh, there was a little church up there. This uh, the elder had le- of the Presbyterian Church had left the church with a bunch of teenagers, uh, and and they were meeting in just a little local hall. There it was a very small work, and my job was to send you know arrange for Mister Hughes to send uh, to send preachers up. I can remember the conversation one night <coughs> with Mr. Hughes on the phone, and he said to me, David, he said, I can't do it anymore. Oh, I said, what do you mean? And uh, he said, oh, well, I just, like he'd been saved as an older man. He hadn't been trained in the ministry. He was not in any way an educated man, and he was just finding it too hard to minister to this little group of believers. He said, we need a pastor. And so I tried to convince him that he was the pastor, and then he if you know Mr Hughes, he wasn't easily convinced of anything, so he said, no, we need a pastor. And I saw his point and I thought, well, okay, uh, who will go, who will go, <laughs> was the Lord was saying, who will go for me? And like we heard yesterday, who will go for me? And I started to look around, now who could we send to Coffs Harbour? <laughs> uh, uh, there was nobody, you know, in our uh, church, there were some people training, there was a young fellow called Glenn Matthews. Uh, but he was—he wasn't—he wasn't cooked yet. Uh, so, uh, and there was none in the other churches. As I started to look around, I thought, "Oh, the only person who's actually been trained and has some experience is me." <laughs> and I tell you what, I really didn't want to go. I—I had, I had it set up. That's a great church down there. And uh, Pastor Wedham, uh, I could be his—he uh, could uh, I, perhaps may, maybe one day replace him in that ministry, but. There was that need at Coffs Harbour. And so, God's counsel, even though it was assumed against logic or against perhaps what I, in my, in my flesh I would want, God's counsel seemed very clear that I needed to go to Coffs Harbour. So, we told Lee's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Shelley, and I remember very clearly the day I was sitting outside that house that he bought for us, and he we were chatting and then he turned straight to me. You know, I was scared of him. He was a bit scary. He's one of those scary father-in-laws. Uh, and he looked at me and he said, what have we done wrong? I said, what do you mean? Well, have we upset you? That He thought we were leaving Sydney to go up to Coffs Harbour to get away from them. <laughs> he said, and then he thought, well, maybe it's a career change, you know. It's a step up in the career. 
<laughs> he'd come from an Anglican background. He didn't realise <laughs> we don't have that kind of thing in independent churches. So I had to explain it's it's not really a step up, you know. <laughs> but God's counsel was clear, and so my wife and I took our family to Coffs Harbour to that little church, that little group up there. But 27 years later, uh, praise the Lord, we have a, a thriving work at Coffs Harbour, irrespective of the, the weak man that God sent. The blessing is, a number of years later, my father-in-law and mother-in-law came to live at Coffs Harbour. And they are some of the most faithful members of our church. And they've started up a really wonderful seniors ministry in our church. And, I, and, and, and just, just once again proved to me even though at the time it didn't seem logical and it didn't seem that we didn't really have any sense that it might work in the future, God knew and God's counsel is great. He is great in counsel and he got it right again. We should never, ever doubt God's counsel. And that's a message that we can learn from the purchase of Hannah Mills Field. Whatever God is calling you to do, if you know it's his counsel, then be sure to follow it. It will be the best counsel you'll ever have. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you so much for this uh, wonderful story, once again, of Jeremiah's faithfulness. And as a man, he couldn't figure it out. But Lord, it was, the, it was important for the generations to follow that he purchased that field. And Father, we thank you that we can know the, your counsel for us. You've given, this one, given us this wonderful word. And you've, Lord, given us the wonderful principles of your word. And so that, Father, we can make decisions that are not based upon the, what the world would say or even our own logic or our own flesh. We can base our decisions upon your word and know your counsel. I pray that if there's someone here today and they're trying to make, decide, they're in a position where they have to make important decisions, Lord, I pray that they would follow your counsel above all else. So thank you for our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.